Welcome into the New Orleans Saints podcast presented by CP for the first week of June. I am Caroline Gonzalez. On today's show, we are going to be joined by two special guests who will be inducted into the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame on June 24th through 26th. That whole weekend will be all about the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame. First up, it is going to be Charles Peanut Tillman, former, former Louisiana Ragin' Cajun, played 13 years in the NFL as a defensive back, 12 with the Bears and one with the Panthers. He was a Walter Payton Man of the Year in 2013. He had two Super Bowl appearances. And now, here's a change in perspective. He works as an FBI agent, so uh, quite the career in life for Charles uh, there. And next up, we have Tim Brando, longtime sports broadcaster who was born in Shreveport, Louisiana, attended University of Louisiana at Monroe. You might have heard his name a few times on ESPN, CBS, Fox Sports Series. SXM, just to name a few, we will go down the list. <laughs> Gentlemen, thanks so much for joining me today. Peanut, let's start with start with you. You had uh, one of the most prolific defensive back. You were one of the most prolific defensive backs during your playing years. You were an Army kid that went to 11, 11 different schools when you were younger. Did you ever think that you were going to make this kind of a career for yourself when you were going from city to city, place to place? 100% absolutely. Um... I always bet on myself and I knew I had a, I was pretty good at football. I was pretty good at sports. And I don't know, from the time I was in first grade, second grade, I knew I wanted to be in the NFL. I want to be an NFL player. Uh, and that was just something that I, 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 I truly believed in. And yeah, I'm, 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 I'm a guy who tries to speak it, speak it into existence, throw it out in the universe. And so far I've, I've, that's kind of how I live my life. So yeah, 100%. I don't care how many schools I moved to. I knew I was going to make it to the NFL. Tim, you started your broadcasting year at the ripe age of 14 next to a lovely gentleman you called dad. Did you ever think that, uh, that you were going to make this kind of a career for yourself and eventually be a part of the Louisiana sports hall of fame? Well, I must tell you, Caroline, a little bit like peanut, uh, it was either this, or paint white lines down the streets of my hometown. Okay, I had no other skill set. And uh, I can't remember any time in my life when I didn't think that I would be broadcasting live sporting events on national television. Mm. You know, I grew up, you mentioned my dad. Uh, he, he was a pioneer of, of television back in the 50s, a World War II veteran uh, who had come from radio. He's also an entertainer. Uh, had a band that used to tour SAC air bases. So I was a little bit of an Air Force brat myself because of my dad's uh, entertainment past. We would play at SAC air bases all across the world, not just the country, but around the world. And he put me up on the stage and I, I would sing a song, play the drums, be part of the act. They called them show bands, uh, a road show, floor show bands back in those days. And so when you're out in front of people at that age, uh, at, from age five to age 10, uh, you, you, you do develop some confidence and uh, the ability to, to feel like that, hey, that, that people want to see what I'm going to do here. Right. And uh, but the sports thing, the sports angle was more mine. In those days, television and you have to go way back in time now, uh, television in a home was like the Internet. Uh, in the 60s. And not everybody on your own block had one, but we did. And my dad worked at a television station when it was born in the 50s, before I was born. Uh, I was born in 56. So I don't know what life without TV was like, our generation. 
uh, and as part of the boomer generation, I felt <laughs> like this was going to be my, uh, this would be my, my spot. And even though I was a, a, a good enough athlete to play, you know, a team member, a guy that could start, you know, in middle school and, 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 and be a pretty good baseball player. I, I had a decision to make in the ninth grade and I'd gotten hurt in the eighth grade playing football. And I had a decision to make uh, about whether I wanted to play football. And my dad uh, got an offer in Monroe, Louisiana. He uh, owned a piece of a television state of, of a uh, hotel there. He got into the hotel business and an old radio station friend of his asked him if he could help out. Neville High School lost their play-by-play guy. And he knew my dad from his days as a pioneer in, in Shreveport. So my dad said, yeah, as long as I get to pick my color announcer. And of course, not knowing it would be his 14-year-old son. <laughs> and, and that was my dream. And he, he put me in that position. So September 10th, 1971, uh, I did my first game. So my 50-year anniversary of that is coming up this fall. And uh, the, all everything I did from that point forward was pointing towards making it as a, a broadcaster nationally. And uh, it was, you know, it wasn't as easy as it might seem. I had to learn that uh, uh, you, you still had to get it done. You, you may be afforded the opportunity, but you had to be prepared when you had the opportunity. And when opportunity meets preparation, you know, good things can happen. And uh, I was really, really lucky. Timing was on my side. I had the blessing of growing up uh, in the deep South with a dad that was a broadcaster that could correct my diction and correct my phonetics, you know, when others in our part of the world didn't. And, uh, and, the, and the confidence instilled from being in front of people at a, at a very early age. I'm trying to think about what I was doing at 14. I was probably getting ready for high school, trying to figure out if I was going to make freshman A team or B team. <laughs> I had, uh, those were the things that were on my mind. But you two gentlemen seem to have the confidence. You know, Charles, you were talking about betting on yourself, Tim, talking about confidence. But Charles, we'll start with you. When you ask young kids now what they want to do, probably 70% of them, 80% of them are going to say that they want to play in the NFL. So how did you fuel that dream day in and day out? Um, well, we used to always have this coach and he used to always say, you know, you got to get a goal, but a goal without a plan is a waste of thought. So I knew I had the goal of playing in the NFL, but, or yeah, I knew I had the goal of playing in the NFL, but I had to figure out what my plan was. And I think once I got to, once I got to high school and I was around good coaching, I was around a really good program in Copper's Cove, they were able to help me uh focus in on those goals and, and and get the necessary uh working tools and skills uh to help me um get a scholarship and obviously go to UL and I took what I learned from high school and I took that to UL and naturally it progressed and I did well and I, I ended up getting drafted. So really I life's hard enough and I think in, in, in life we have guides and in the, during your lifetime, you have to recognize who these guides are. And I was fortunate enough to know that these guys are my mom, my dad, my parents, my family, extended family, uh, principals, coaches, teachers. And I was on a path that these people, these guides, they kept me on track because they knew my, my value. They knew my worth. They knew my goals. And being young, we're dumb. We do dumb things. We get off that path at times, right? But they kept me on this path. 
And, you know, I, a lot of what you see is not just me. You know, I ha it's it's as they say that saying it, it takes a village to raise them, to raise a kid. And I, I had a village of coaches, parents, extended family who really looked after me and helped me along my way. So, yeah, it's it's yeah, I was I was extremely blessed and lucky to one be in a really good situation. And I had a amazing support system that helped me get to where I how helped me get to where I am right now. Yeah. And fast forward to your professional career. I mean, your, your numbers were consistent, like season in season out, they were consistent. Have you always considered yourself kind of a self-starter? Obviously you're an FBI agent. We're going to talk about that a little bit, but it seems like you really have to be someone who motivates themselves, pushes themselves along with, of course, the guides that you just mentioned. Uh, yeah. I don't really need someone to have to motivate me to do, do a lot. If, if I, I'm the kind of guy, if I see it, I'm like, yeah, I want to do that. I want to try that. I want to challenge myself. I want to, you know, again, every year I would, I would write out my stats, pre-stats. You know, I want two touchdowns. I want five forced fumbles and I want five picks. Hmm. I want so many PBU, so many tackles. And I did that every year. And it, it just, it kind of, it just, it kind of worked out. It gave me something to shoot for because I'm always with competition or I'm always at competition with myself. I'm always trying to push myself. I'm always trying to uh, be better. I don't really know what average is. I don't really, I don't know how to communicate with average. I don't like to be around average people. Now, when I say average people, I don't mean someone who's me. a reporter. It's okay. You can or, say me. It's okay. I don't mean that. I don't mean that. When I say average, I mean someone who just, who only wants to do enough to get by. Right. Like I want people Caroline, you, 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 you have a, a, a normal job, but average being, eh, I'm going to just do one interview and then I'm calling it a day. Cause that's all. No, I want you to try to go interview Drew Brees, uh, Michael Jordan. Like I want you to shoot to the top. And that's kind of, that's kind of how I am. Like, I, I just, I like to go big or go home and I've never been home. Tim, shifting to you a little bit, um, you mentioned that you didn't grow up in a world that didn't have TV. I didn't grow up in a world that didn't have social media. I mean, Facebook yeah. came out when I believe was in seventh grade. How crazy is it to see the evolution of sports media? Uh, it's scary at times, honestly, <laughs> yeah. and, and uh, enough to uh, I, I'll, I'll personally ban myself, you know, that old that old saying, help me help you. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's, I have to help me help me, you know, and take a, you know, a three week respite. You know, if I know on the calendar that there's a, not a lot out there that I'm in, liking right now, then I'm probably better suited to just get off Twitter for a while and come yeah. back when I'm excited about something. Okay. Uh, that old adage, you know, if you can't say something good, don't say anything at all. Uh, I try to use that a little bit. But it's funny now because what's happened, especially in our business, because we get rejected so much. You know, young broadcasters coming up, we hear every reason, every reason imaginable uh, for why we didn't get the job. I was once told after working so hard to get rid of the South in the mouth as a young man. You know, I was I mentioned my dad helping me with my diction and phonetics. I, I, as a child, I might say something like. Uh, uh, do I need to turn the light on? And dad would say, uh, uh, son, you don't, do you own that light or do you want the light on? Right. You know, and I'd say, I don't get it. And he was like, you don't get what? 
I mean, you, you can get it, but you can't get anything. You know, I, I had that kind of training at home. Uh, in today's world, you work hard to get rid of the South in the mouth. And then uh, the San Antonio Spurs job opens up and you send in a tape and resume and they say to you, you don't, you don't sound Southwest enough. <laughs> You're like, what? <laughs> I worked so hard to sound like I was homogenized, like some right. Midwesterner, and now you're telling me that I'm my diction's too good? Right. You know, there are always reasons why, you know, th this or that job won't go your way. So in, in the world of Twitter, if, if you get a, a, an opportunity to broadcast, I don't care if it's the Pelicans or the Saints in your region of the country, Caroline, or you're doing a national game in the NCAA tournament as I did on CBS or maybe doing a, a Pac-12 or Big Ten uh, game on Fox, uh, you're there for a reason. You're there because you, you've you earned that right. And today, what's happening is with social media, these babies, everybody's a critic. And mm -hmm. it can do a lot of damage. You know, I, I had dear friends of mine, uh, very close friends of mine, that, that have been adversely impacted by it. And John Saunders, who tragically passed away about five years ago, was my best friend at ESPN. We came into Bristol at the same time in December of 1986, and we became best buddies, and uh, we shared a lot together. But until he passed away and the book that he was working on was published, uh, talking about mental illness and uh, what he went through with it, uh, he didn't die from mental illness, but it certainly impacted his life tremendously. And he had had a lot of injuries, and it affected his physical being and his mental being. And when he took hits on Twitter after basketball games, it really damaged him in ways that I would have never thought. And uh, so you have to grow up quickly and you have to develop a thick skin and understand that most of the people that are criticizing you, A, can't do it, and B, are jealous of the fact that you are doing it. And you have to just motivate yourself beyond that. And as players would do, when guys like us are critical of their work, you have to just block out the noise right. and, and turn that baby off and do your job because ultimately the people that are responsible for you being there aren't on Twitter and probably won't be on Twitter for quite some time while you're calling that game. So that's, that's the best way to combat it. I, it's a challenge for young people in our business now. It's much more challenging for your generation than it was for mine. Even though there are more jobs, there's more criticism because yeah. everybody's a critic. Yeah, step number one of sports journalism and being an athlete, uh, don't read the comments ever. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But, you, yeah. you know, Tim, you were talking about uh, your dad and obviously he had to be a big motivator for you, but along the same lines of, of Charles, how did you continue to motivate yourself to build such a prolific career to get yourself to Sports Center and CBS and the NCAA tournament? Uh, I, well, I, I couldn't hold a job. You know, I had to re reinvent myself a few times because I, I was always uh, in a hurry. I think that um, because I started so young, you know, when you're 14 and you're doing your first game, you're like, OK, well, OK, re it's reasonable to think that if I'm getting all of this uh, work while I'm in high school, I get to college. I'm just going to I'm going to zoom. I wanted to clip life and just go right to the big time, you know, like so many kids do today. But you realize that getting repetition, getting work is just one part of it. The other part of it is to hone your skill set and to grow and to become more versatile. 
have an opportunity by going to ESPN and working on Sports Center in the mid 80s and doing the original college game day and being the host of that show uh, and working the NCAA tournament as a host. John Saunders and I shared that responsibility uh, in the late 80s. And all that helped prepare me for more opportunities at, at a greater uh, pool of jobs that I, I wasn't a one trick pony. I could go in the studio and do the job. I could go to the booth and call a football game, basketball game or whatever else. And uh, I think that's the thing to distinguish yourself. Uh, for me, it was doing many things. Mm. You know, I was like Mikey in the cereal commercial. You know, if you don't want to, who's going to do the uh, PKA karate show? Well, this guy doesn't want to do it. I'm not going to do it. Well, give it to Brando. He'll do anything. You know, that's how I got uh, an opportunity to move up. And uh, the bottom line to all of this, Caroline, is you're going to have some forks in the road uh, where you have a chance to have uh, a, a, a seminal moment in your career. And in each case, I was really lucky that every time I made a move, I grew as a broadcaster. Not everybody, it, it doesn't work that way for everybody. I was very, very fortunate to have a lot of great people, uh, both on the air and off the air, pass through my life. Kurt Gowdy was a mentor to me. I named my little brother after him. Now that's going way, way back. Uh, the American sportsman was huge. And, and I was like a sponge. I would seek out people that I admired and try to get as much from them as I possibly could. And I highly recommend that to you and anyone else like you in our business, find somebody that you really admire and go to them and say, Hey, uh, what, what should I work on? How can I improve? And uh, I did that. And I think that along with having some people in the executive end of our business that truly um, supported me and saw some things in me that maybe I didn't see was very helpful. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, you two have different perspectives when it comes to Louisiana, Charles, you traveled many places when you were growing up and then eventually uh, ended up here in Louisiana. Tim, uh, born and raised in Shreveport. Charles, when you first arrived in Louisiana, what were your, what did, what were your thoughts? What, what did you see? Well, Shreveport is way different than um, yeah. Southwest Louisiana. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Shreveport is more like, it's like Texas country. Shreveport, uh, uh, Louisiana Southwest, that's, the Bobby Boucher backwood, just come, come on, you know, it's Bobby that, come on. <laughs> yeah. oh, share baby, you know, <laughs> it's my ball, baby, you know, like it's, it's over there, that, that accent. And <laughs> I didn't know what the hell they were saying. I was like, man, what they say, how they, but I mean, I, I, I to this day, I miss it. I miss mm -hmm. the accent. I miss the, the little small rain, Karen Crow, Crowley, uh, New Iberia, St. Martinville. Like I miss these little small country towns and these little country accents. I miss it. I miss the people. Um, it was a great school. I know I didn't have the best college career as far as wins, but again, guides that, like, like I said earlier, I had these guides in place and it was some special people in Louisiana. Um, that knew my path and knew my journey and they, they, they truly helped me. I'm forever indebted to the university of Louisiana at Lafayette because they gave me an opportunity to showcase my craft where other people really wanted to overlook me and they afforded me an opportunity to showcase my talent. And I took advantage of it. And 
every time you saw me on the Monday Night Football or the Sunday Night Football, I was so proud to say the university of where I was from because, yeah. I mean, good good country, Southern Creole, Cajun people, and do my people, and I was I was proud of that, and I was I, I really wanted to showcase and let them know that yo I'm from this small little school, but hey, it's hey I love it. I'm, there's no shame in it. There's no shame at all. I'm from Texas. When I first showed up at Loyola and somebody called me baby, I was just like, oh, is, are, you, are you flirting with me? Is that, is that a, uh, is that a pass? Oh, okay. That's just the thing. All right, cool. <laughs> you, mean, you, mean, you mean everybody, you mean everybody doesn't talk like Ed Orgeron and Bobby Hebert? I mean, come on, man. Uh, I, listen, I, I am from Shreveport, yes, but my career launched out of Baton Rouge and mm. New Orleans and and I, as I love to say, I partied in Lafayette. I went to school in Monroe, Monroe, and I my career launched out of Baton Rouge and New Orleans. You know, when back when Hat Glaudy, uh, who they named the extra point after when uh, when Buddy Deliberto did it, and then up and Bobby took over for uh, for Buddy. So at that part, I spent seven years in deep, deep South Louisiana, and uh, Peanuts absolutely on target. Uh, you know, there's no such thing as needing to call first before you drop by a house in nope. Prairieville, Louisiana. No, you drive by the house and you honk and then you say, hey, we're having a Kushan delay at six o'clock. Be there, you know, and your butt better be there. You know, I, we live through that and it is magnificent. So and, and I will say this, since the Saints got really, really good. Uh, Peanut, uh, North Louisiana is much more of a Saints town now than it was when you were at school at, at, at Lafayette. I mean, it, it, it's much more. And, and we celebrate, um, we're, we're big on uh, Mardi Gras now in ways that we weren't when I was a child growing up. So right. uh, it's, it's changed a little bit, the dynamic, but I hear you. There's no question the Texas and uh, Arkansas influence in our part of Louisiana is noticeable. Tim, if I understand this correctly, the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame is beginning the Ambassador Award with you. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean, how does how awesome is that? Well, you know, honestly, Caroline, because of uh, I, 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 you know, I just got my Medicare. All right, the ARP card came a few years ago, and uh, Doug Ireland and uh, and Ronnie Rance had mentioned to me I was going to go on the ballot. I was like, you know. I know some radio broadcasters that have been around longer than I have, you know, been, been at the school for maybe 46, 45 years, something like that. And I said, I, I still have some tread left on my tires. I plan on continuing to work for a while. And I don't know when the finish line comes, but I, I know I, I don't think I've hit it yet. And they said, well, listen, we've got something else we're thinking about. And so this year they did a, they called me and they said, we're, you know, you're going into the Hall of Fame, but it's not the Dave Dixon and it's not the distinguished journalist. We're, we're creating a new award, but it will not be given annually. So you will be the sole uh, recipient of this until such time as another you comes along. Well, that was even for a guy like me, humbling, very humbling, because um, and I, I, I did try to do this because I am from Louisiana and I'm proud of the state whether it's called Louisiana or Louisiana, <laughs> uh, I'm proud of the state. When guys like Peanut did well, I would be the first to go say, 
he was a raging Cajun. You know, I, I would always do it with emphasis in any game, whether it was a basketball player, football player, baseball player. I would, I, I, I was very proud of it because it doesn't hurt anybody. You know, where a kid is from and where he went to school is a source of great pride for whatever little town or whatever small school that young man played for. And I do that with high schools and communities for college players. And I do it with the colleges for the pro players and everyone in Louisiana, because it's largely a rural state, I think really appreciated that thought it was a big deal, much more so than even I had imagined. And I try to do it with all the schools. If it's East Texas or Northwest Arkansas, I might do the same thing, but people here noticed it. And uh, this notion that, you know, my spot, uh, in that building uh, at the museum, which is beautiful, by the way, if you haven't been there, it's just incredible. The new uh, Hall of Fame museum there. Uh, the notion it's going to be there for quite a while. And until such time as there's another uh, recipient of this, Tim Brando is going to be there for all to see. It's pretty cool. Yeah, Very that cool. is pretty cool. Uh, Charles, you're the father of four beautiful children. If you haven't heard the story of Tiana, I would definitely recommend go uh, research that story, find out about uh, Charles and his family's terrific story. But now mm -hmm. you're an FBI agent. Tim, you are a father, a grandfather, working as a commentator for Fox Sports. Both of you, uh, what has been your proudest accomplishment to this point in your in your life? And Tim, we'll have you start first. Wow. Boy, that's tough. I, I, because when you're a granddad, I think it all comes back full circle. Yeah. You know, I, I, when you're gone, and I think this is something Charles can probably relate to. Uh, we, if you're goal oriented and you're a type A, uh, you are going to put so much of your time and effort into reaching and attaining those goals. Uh, so much to the point that I know I was a better father to our 30-year-old than I was to our 38-year-old. We've got two daughters, and we, we had a couple of miscarriages in between, so we wanted a larger family, but the, the, those are the two we had. And when, when Tiffany was born in Baton Rouge at a time when I was working nonstop, I mean nonstop, uh, all, uh, Channel 9 during the day, I was doing coaches shows for Bill Arnsparger and Dale Brown and uh, taking every opportunity to work syndicated football games on the weekends whenever I could. I was hardly at home at all. Uh, but I was on the on the journey. And then and then when we had the, the second child, that was right after I left ESPN to move home. But I was still working at ESPN in 1990. And um, I still was very busy, but I had more time with her you know but now as a granddad uh archie manning said this to me and he was so <laughs> he put it in perspective really he says tim i had no idea and i covered archie as a cub reporter in new orleans in 1981 and 1982 as a 25 year old and uh i, I said we were just together one time doing a saints preseason game and he said you know everybody talks about you know you're the father of two first round picks in the NFL. He says, let me tell you something. Being a granddad is, um, it's better than that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really underrated. And, and so when I became a granddad, I, I really figured it out because you're basically looking at a, 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 a human mulligan for all the time that you missed with your, with your own children. 
who, by the way, uh, came out beautifully because my wife did a great job. We've been married. It'll be 43 years in October. But, man, it's so cool to be a granddad. I think that's to have hung around long enough to have taken my daughters through homecoming court at the 50-yard line, still fly to New York to do my job at CBS, to be be here long enough to see the birth of their children, not just walk them down the aisles, but the birth of their children. And they each have two. We've got between four months and four years old. We've got four of them now, three, three girls, one boy. I think that's the greatest accomplishment. You know, um, family does come first, even though your business is, is important to you. But I know for a long period of time, I sacrificed the domicile to chase my dream. And I was lucky that I had the kind of uh, uh, home life and wife that uh, was willing to put up with that. And uh, yeah, so that's it. That's got to be it. Yeah. Although I'm going to tell you, June, the night of June 26th is going to be great. Yeah. <laughs> but that, yeah. that has to be it, I think. Be, being here long enough to have experienced all of that is uh, is the thing I'm most proud of. Yeah, my dad just became a grandfather, and so that one uh, that one definitely hit close. It resonates. Home. It's cool to see them be grandparents yeah. for You're sure. You're no longer his favorite. Yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> I used to be the baby. I got everything. Now I get yeah. nothing. So that's awesome. <laughs> Charles, what about you? What would you say is is your biggest accomplishment? I mean, I'm not trying to to bite off. Uh, I'm not. I'm not trying to bite off Tim, but. I'm not a, I'm by no means my grandfather. I'm way too young, but I, <laughs> I enjoy being a dad. Um, yeah. I know I'm not perfect. I know I make mistakes, but I'm responsible for these little human beings. Mm-hmm. And my job is to mold them into respectable, responsible little adults. And I'm trying to do what my dad and my mom did to me, plus what my wife's parents, and we're trying to customize it and make these little human beings and get them prepared, you know, in 18 years, basically get them prepared for, for life. And then finally kick them out of the nest. Um, (laughs) I like where, I like where things are with my kids. You know, my oldest is 15 and we can go out and she plays basketball. She's five ten. She's really tall. And to just go out and just, Hey, you want to shoot? Yeah, come on, let's go. And we shoot. And I'm trying to teach her. She rarely ever listens to me. She does now. <laughs> but just teaching her the game of basketball. You know, that will um, never change. Just so you yeah, know, that will never like change. Um, my my second daughter, she was a wrestler. She wrestled this year. The one Tiana you're talking about. She wrestled. And the first match I went to, I was a little nervous, but I didn't try to show it. And she's wrestling these boys and she's getting slammed. She's slamming them. And I'm like, she's about to win. And I'm like, I am tearing up because she's wrestling and she almost died twice. And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm, I'm getting so soft, but this is a beautiful moment. You know what I'm saying? Like it's and my, my son, his, his attitude and his, he just has like one of the coolest personalities as far. He's like, he's like a mini me. I love his personality. He's a jokester. He's funny, can entertain any woman in the business. I kid you <laughs> not. He just has a mouthpiece on him. And then my youngest, her, just, she's so lovey and just, she's the baby. Yeah, she's the baby. Yeah, I was about to say, that's, that's so, what we do. You no, know, I'm glad I don't have babies, but at the same time, I'm glad she is my baby because I can kind of baby her. Like, 
they're, they're all so different and they all four or at four, you know, 15, 13, 12 and, and eight. And wow. They have all these different ages and they're so, I raise them the same, but all four of them are so different. Yeah, and it's, yeah. it's just kind of, uh, it gets overwhelming at times and I go lie, but it's, you, you, you gotta love it. You gotta love it. And I can, I mean, the way you spoke about your, your grandkids, um, I can only imagine that it's even better when you have. Oh grandkids. yeah. Yeah. Because, because honestly, uh, I work football and basketball season now, you see, and I don't have to work during baseball season. Uh, I would love to do maybe I have done a little golf, but I don't have to Fox lost the golf to and sold it back to, to NBC anyway. So I I'm really at home. I mean, I'm just enjoying going to the golf course and chasing grandbabies. You know I mean? Yeah. That's, that's really what I'm doing. And I've never had that kind of time uh, in my life. And really until the last uh, few years when, uh, when I made that move to Fox, I was doing a radio show uh, all the way through for 15 years that was on nationally all the way up until 2015. So I was uh, 59 years old and, and working nonstop up until that time. And after I got to Fox and, and got out of the studio and was at games, I realized the time it took to prepare to, to do football and basketball games with the coaches and whatnot. And I said, you know, I don't need this. I don't need to be spending three hours a day on the radio anymore. People have, uh, I'm tired of me. Why should I, why should I think anybody else wants to hear me? So I decided to devote all my time to these, these grandkids as they were coming up and we had some weddings to pay for. That's another thing. <laughs> a lot of girls, peanut, you, you better have a lot of peanuts to take care of those girls when it's wedding time, because yeah. it's one th- college is one thing, but the nuptials can kill you. And, and I had eight years between having to pay for college, but uh, two years between weddings. That's a whole different animal there. But uh, it's a great time. It is. That's awesome. Well, I was going to talk about the peanut punch, but you can go look on YouTube or whatever. There's plenty of videos about that. We will end on that note. Gentlemen, uh, an early happy Father's Day to you both coming up on June 20th. Congratulations to both of you on June 26th. I'm sure that day cannot come soon enough for you all and the rest of the inductees. Hopefully we will uh, cross paths soon here. Thank you, Caroline. All right, Saints fans, hopefully you enjoyed that Saints podcast interview as much as I did. Of course, we will have another exciting episode for you next week that will include a member of the Black and Gold that suits up for the team on Sunday. And that is the only hint I am going to give you because I want you to tune in next week. All right, for Tim Brando, Charles Peanut Tillman, I am Caroline Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the New Orleans Saints podcast presented by CPU.